0: is it about working men and women that drives you republicans crazy when does the greed stop what is
1: the price
0: challenge corporate power
1: damn what's wrong with people in this country say hell no until these weak-kneed democrats end this
2: war Ah, am pigs, you pigs. this first step is a step right off a
3: cliff
4: hello and welcome to another episode of best of the left podcast Today we have clips from Bill Maher, Counterspin, Davis Fleetwood, Keith Overman, Rachel Maddow, Ring of Fire, Sam Cedar, The Real News Network, Tom Hartman, and The Young Turks. He's a liar. He's a
5: thug and a punk. One word. Katrina!
3: You leave this country, sir? You claim to defend it? Pathetic.
2: You can't claim support for our troops without supporting their mission, Mr. Speaker. God, that is so dishonest on so many levels. All those
6: people who died on 9-11, and you guys want to use 9-11 as an excuse to do
7: everything you want, attack Iraq and Iran, the people that have absolutely nothing to do with 9-11, don't you dare
3: talk about 9-11,
7: please. This election is our chance to give the American people a reason to believe again. It is time now for Moran.
3: Good evening from New York. If the last meeting between the two remaining contenders for the Democratic presidential nomination was the love-in in Los Angeles. Tonight at Austin, Texas, the love appeared to be gone. And so for a time did the continuity and format of the debate itself. When two somewhat hoarse candidates took the driver's wheel away from the moderator to say nothing of the reins. In the heart of oil company, it may not have been I drink your milkshake, but neither was it milk toast. Tonight, Hillary Clinton invoked her barest-boned attack on Barack Obama's readiness to be commander-in-chief from day one, and he, for the first time, turned it back on her into a question about her readiness after her vote on Iraq authorization. Senator Obama on his speeches, I gotta admit, some of them are pretty good. Senator Clinton with a new catchphrase, perhaps, change you can Xerox. The two candidates in late polling in Texas, starting a debate in a virtual tie in the Lone Star State. Senator Clinton having wanted this debate badly, it had been a long three weeks since these candidates last met on stage, Senator Obama racking up 11 straight victories in the interim. Tonight's debate, their second head-to-head exchange, the first since the opposition research team of the Clinton campaign had accused Senator Obama of plagiarism.
7: First of all, it's not a lot of speeches. right? There are two lines in speeches that I've been Giving over the last couple of weeks, now the notion that uh, I had plagiarized from somebody who's one of my national co-chairs, who gave me the line and suggested that I use it, I think is silly. You
8: know,
7: but but but, this is where we start getting into silly season in politics, and I think people start getting discouraged about it.
8: I think that. If your candidacy is going to be about words, then they should be your own words. That's, I think, a very simple uh, proposition. And you know, you know, lifting whole passages from someone else's speeches is not change you can believe in. It's change you can xerox. And oh, I well, just that, don't think no, I but you know, but Barack it is because if you know if you look, if you look, if you look at, the YouTube of these videos, it
3: does raise questions. Senator Clinton, at least in an oratorical sense, positioning herself as Lyndon Johnson to Obama's JFK. The nomination now believed to be Senator Obama's to lose, the key for him heading into tonight's debate, not committing any significant blunders. When he was talking about immigration, he certainly did not.
7: It is absolutely critical that we tone down the rhetoric when it comes to the immigration debate because there has been an undertone that has been ugly. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, it has been directed at the Hispanic community. We have seen hate crimes skyrocket uh, in the wake of the immigration debate uh, as it's been conducted in Washington, and that is unacceptable. We are a nation of laws and we are a nation of
3: immigrants, and we can reconcile those two things. Take that Lou Dobbs. On Senator Clinton's to-do list tonight, on Senator Clinton's to-do list every day and every night, stress again that she is ready to be president and protect America on day one.
8: When you think about everything that is going to happen, what we can predict and what we cannot predict, I believe that I am prepared and ready on day one to be commander-in-chief, to be the president, to turn our economy around, and to begin making a lot of these very difficult decisions that we will inherit from George Bush. And that is what I am putting forth to the voters.
3: Some of the starkest true material policy differences between these two candidates coming, as they often do, in the realm of foreign policy. Tonight, of note, their first comments on whether they would meet with Raul Castro, the man who runs, at least for now, Cuba.
8: I would not meet with him until there was evidence that change was happening because I think it's important that they demonstrate clearly that they are committed to change the direction. Then I think, you know, something like diplomatic uh, encounters and negotiations over specifics could take place.
7: I would meet. Uh, without preconditions, although Senator Clinton is right that there has to be preparation, it is very important for us to make sure that there was an agenda, and on that agenda was human rights, releasing of political prisoners, opening up the press. Uh, and that preparation might take some time. But I do think that it is important for the United States not just to talk to its friends, but also to talk to its enemies.
9: There are some people who say after they watch this debate that Hillary was kind of conceding that the Clinton campaign realizes that uh, end times are near for them. Uh, well, I don't know, uh, but I do know this. Today she replaced her campaign manager with Britney Spears' father. So uh, <laughs> that's not a good sign. <laughs> She did look a little desperate, come on, when she was accusing Obama of plagiarizing his speeches. Uh, plagiarizing, excuse me, 60-year-old white lady. It's called sampling. (laughs) Hey, let me tell you something. I like Hillary. Hillary's speeches may not be exciting, but by God, every tired, cliched, coma-inducing word is original. (laughs) Except that they're not. That's the thing. You know, politicians, they all steal. We found this out because they investigated this week now that it became an issue. In her closing statement, she ripped off something that Bill Clinton used to say. And he got it from Kennedy, who got it from FDR, who got it from Lincoln, who got it from McCain. He's old. (laughs) He is old, ladies and gentlemen. But he's apparently not too old to do a little, uh... (laughs) Well, I don't know, I'm not saying. I just know what I read in the New York Times. Well, that is the big scandal this week. I don't know which party has this bigger scandal, the New York Times or John McCain, but apparently the Times printed a story. Not apparently, I read it. That said in John McCain's last campaign in 2000, he was apparently acting so sprung on a lobbyist lady that his staff had to cock block. (laughs) <laughs> the senior senator from Arizona from sweeping this chick right off her feet and onto his motorized shopping cart. Viva Viagra, ladies and gentlemen. Viva Viagra. Oh, God. Apparently John McCain's pickup line is, did you know that 150 is the new 130? <laughs> He's old. But I know what you're thinking. A Republican politician with a woman? <laughs> but, but come on, what girl could resist? <laughs> An old guy with anger problems and a bus. <laughs> but I'm not buying this. I don't, I don't believe this story. I think this is a cynical attempt by the McCain campaign. Uh, to make their candidate appear youthful and vigorous. (laughs) I think they made the whole thing up and filtered it through the New York Times. You know, just like Bush did with the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq.
4: Things you can do to help support the show, but they only take a few seconds. Leave us a great customer review in the iTunes Music Store, dig the show on dig.com, and every month you can vote for the best of the left at podcastalley.com. Find links to all three of these most important sites on the right-hand side at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Thanks for your support.
10: I am campaigning for three and only three superdelegates to cast their votes at the Democratic National Convention this August for me, Davis Fleetwood. All of politics is a stage. Candidates, pundits, and statesmen, merely players. They have their exits and they have their entrances, and it is time for the role of superdelegates in the Democratic Party to make their exit, stage left, pursued by a hermit. Obama and Clinton are now vying for 796 votes of individuals within the Democratic Party because this year, that is how the nomination will get decided. Think about that. Harold Ikes, a Clinton advisor, put it this way, superdelegates have a broader sense of the, quote, institutional interest of the party, end quote. And the DNC, by rules that they made up, has arranged it so that these 796 individuals in a country of 300 million will decide who the next Democratic nominee for president will be. Are these free and fair elections? Now, I know that voter reform is not going to happen in time for the 08 presidential election. But I'm looking for three superdelegates with the courage to cast a protest vote that will... Shed light on the sham that is the superdelegate's role within the Democratic Party. Three amongst 796. Why do I only want three? I mean, let's be honest. All 796 superdelegates are not going to lodge a protest vote. And there's a certain poetry in the number three, don't you think? I mean, if one superdelegate voted for Davis Fleetwood, that just wouldn't get noticed. If two, if two superdelegates did it, that would be just strange. But if three, can you imagine three superdelegates at the Democratic National Convention this August casting their vote for Davis Fleetwood? Well, that would be a movement. And that's just what it is. It's the superdelegates exit stage left pursued by a hermit movement. And all you have to do to join is go to NoCureForThat.com, click superdelegates in the menu bar, and all the tools you need are right there. I'm taking this movement all the way to the convention in August with your help. Give me a platform and I will move the world. Thank you. I'm Davis Fleetwood. I stay in so you can go out.
4: Something's shining the earth. Something's stirring the sky. Every color I once. Column of life. bacteria breeds on a microscope slide the warm in my heart's the apple of your eyes.
11: From NBC News in Washington, this is Meet the Press with Tim Russett.
0: Our issues this Sunday, many Democrats accuse this man of draining votes from Al Gore, which helped elect George W. Bush in 2000. Will he run again as an independent candidate for president in 2008? We will find out this morning. Our guest, Mr. Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader, welcome. Thank you. Will you run for president as an independent mm-hmm. in 2008? Let me put it in context to make it a little more palatable to people who have closed minds. Twenty-four percent of the American people are satisfied with the state of the country, according to Gallup. That's about the lowest ranking ever. Sixty-one percent think both major parties are failing. And according to Frank Lutz's poll, a Republican, 80 percent will consider voting for an independent this year. Now, you take that framework of people feeling locked out, shut shut out, marginalized, disrespected. And you go from Iraq to Palestine, Israel, from Enron to Wall Street, from Katrina to the bungling of the Bush administration, to the complicity of the Democrats in not stopping him on the war, stopping him on the tax cuts, getting a decent energy bill through. And you have to ask yourself, as a citizen, should we elaborate the issues that the two are not talking about? And all all the candidates, McCain, Obama, and Clinton, are against single-payer health insurance, full Medicare for all, I'm for it, as well as millions of Americans and 59% of the physicians in a forthcoming poll this April. People don't like Pentagon waste, the bloated military budget, all the reports in the press and in the GAO uh, reports. Uh, A wasteful defense is a weak defense, it takes away taxpayer money that can go to the necessities of the American people. That's off the table to Obama and Clinton and McCain. The issue of uh, labor law reform, repealing the notorious Taft-Hartley Act that keeps workers who are now more defenseless than ever against corporate globalization from organizing to defend their interests. Cracking down on corporate crime, the media, the mainstream media repeatedly uh, indicating how trillions of dollars have been drained and fleeced and looted from millions of workers and investors who don't have many rights these days, and uh, pensioners. You know, when you see the paralysis of the government, when you see Washington, D.C. be corporate-occupied territory, every department and agency controlled by overwhelming presence of corporate lobbyists, corporate executives in high government positions, turning the government against its own people, one feels an obligation, Tim, to try to open the doorways, to try to get better ballot access, to respect dissent in America in the terms of third parties and, and independent candidates, to recognize historically the great issues have come in our history against slavery and women's rights to vote and worker and farmer progressives through little parties that never ran, won any national election. Dissent is the mother of assent. And in that context, I have decided to run for president. As you know, Ralph Nader, there will be Democrats all across the country who are going to find this very disturbing news.
2: Leave the
4: old town drunk on his wooden stool. Leave the autumn leaves in their swimming pool. Leave the poor black child in his crumbling school today leave the novelist in his daydream to leave the scientist in her Rubik's Cube let the true genius in the padded room
3: remain with wild-eyed anger in Cincinnati on Saturday and then condescending and cynical sarcasm in rhode island on sunday senator hillary clinton may have written her own political obituary the corollary question in so doing did she also hand john mccain some of the paper and ink he will need to try to write barack obama's our fifth story in the countdown whatever the clinton campaign thinks it is writing today it may have supplied the accompanying illustration of obama in traditional african robes clinton's people do not deny distributing the photograph they say only that they have a lot of staffers and nobody authorized its release it is from a visit to Kenya the Senator participated in two years ago. It was emailed to various media along with a plaintive whine about how if this had been Senator Clinton, the photo would have been on every front page in America. The Clinton campaign would shortly on the record twist the response from the Obama Obama campaign, which was her campaign has engaged in the most shameful offensive fear-mongering we've seen from either party in this election wrote Obama campaign manager David Pluff, who added, it's exactly the kind of divisive politics that turns away Americans of all parties and diminishes respect for America in the world. To which Clinton's campaign manager, Maggie Williams, replied, enough. If Barack Obama's campaign wants to suggest that a photo of him wearing traditional Somali clothing is divisive, they should be ashamed, adding this is nothing more than an obvious and transparent attempt to distract from the serious issues confronting our country today and to attempt to create the very divisions they claim to decry. Clinton's campaign later adding that they do not know if one of their 700 campaign workers might have sent the original picture, that they think the media is biased against their candidate. As for Senator Clinton, that conciliatory, I'm proud to be here with him approach to her rival to end last week's debate might as well have been said by a different person. To recap, first, rage over an Obama mailer about her NAFTA record and health care plan.
8: Shame on you Barack Obama it is time you ran a campaign consistent with your messages in public that's what I expect from you meet me in Ohio let's have a debate about your tactics and your behavior in this campaign. Enough with the speeches and the big rallies and then using tactics that are right out of Karl Rove's playbook.
3: Like blaming the media or praising Fox News. Same day same place less heavily played The tape of the senator moving to compare her opponent to President Bush himself. You know,
8: people have talked a lot about change in this election. Well, we have lived through some of the worst change that anybody can imagine the last seven years. Do you think people voting in 2000 knew what they were getting? I don't
3: who knew which hillary clinton we would be getting a day later now in rhode island mocking one of the primary complaints of most voters the take no prisoners" state of american politics and her opponent
8: now i could stand up here and say let's just get everybody together let's get unified the sky will open the light will come down celestial choirs will be singing and everyone will know we should do the right thing and the world will be perfect
3: always remember your hope that things might get better is utterly pointless
1: I bet you're as tired as I am of listening to political strategists tell us how we need a mood of compromise, a mood of camaraderie with Republican thugs who have for the last eight years lied to us, they've spied on us, they've needlessly killed Americans and Iraqis in a fraudulent, completely fraudulent, Halliburton war. They've annihilated our economy, I mean is it just me or have these new Democratic handlers been living in another country or possibly on another planet in the last eight years as Republican thugs in the Senate and Congress have fostered corruption, the caliber of Tom DeLay and Jack Abramoff, of nay felony activity, Rove, Libby treason activity, Gonzales torture activity. Were these meek souled Democrat consultants who unfortunately now seem to have the ear of Barack Obama, well maybe, maybe they just weren't paying attention. When Dick Cheney chose to have meetings and closed doors and approve sweetheart political and financial deals with Enron and Exxon and Halliburton, and damn near every corporate bottom feeder who gave more than a million dollars to this has been president of ours. So in spite of an obvious need for investigations and indictments, Obama has his campaign consultants telling us to sit around a unified campfire with GOP criminals and just let bygones be bygones. Sorry guys, but I'm not going to be there for that bizarre little gathering and neither should any progressive that values democracy. You see in Bill Clinton's terms, for a full two years he had the chance to turn up the heat on the Iran Contra investigation. That investigation would have shined a light on so many cuckoo con GOP racketeers that their leadership would have effectively been shut down for a decade. Democrats wouldn't be suffering through all the damage that's been caused by the James Bakers and the Richard Pearls or the Grover Norquist, the Paul Wolfowitz types that have infected democracy over the last seven or eight years because most of those neocon nuts would have either been indicted or publicly shamed if that's possible for a true neocon. Instead though, Clinton bought into the warm, fuzzy argument floated by kind and gentle progressive advisors, well, just to forgive and forget and let's just go ahead with things. The result was that the Democrats were slaughtered in the 1994 election and ultimately Clinton had impeachment papers filed against him by the same cold-blooded Republican snakes that he tried to buddy up with. So while all those Democrats are busy planning picnics with their rivals. Well, the Republican thugs are plotting on how to take back the Congress, how to take back the House, and at the same time continue to lie, cheat, and steal every time the opportunity arises. You hear Pelosi and Reid talking about all of their over-ambitious goals for America. They're decent ideas. They're good ideas. Don't get me wrong. They're good ideas about providing health care for everyone and making sure the elderly Americans get a tax break. Those are good ideas. It's what our country needs but they're worthless if the Republican goons are allowed to walk away from their crimes unpunished and run at democracy one more time. I can promise you this, if Pelosi and Reid and all the other Democrats fail to support the efforts of the few courageous politicians still left in that party, people like Conyers and Waxman, Kucinich and Wexler, if there are not more subpoenas, more investigations in these months leading up to the election, these same new Republican friends who are trying to reach out to make nice with us now, well they're going to punish The Democrats in 2008. If the Democrats want to keep their already floundering power, then they have to go after these neocon thugs because I'll tell you, it's going to be hard for those people to run a successful campaign in 2008 if key parts of the GOP leadership are facing subpoenas, indictments, and with a little luck, prison. All I'm saying is give peace a chance.
8: Wake up! It's, it's time, time to try. take to the street. Mainstream media, where are you? George W. Bush was born on third base, but thinks he hit a triple. <laughs> Wakeupam.blogspot.com. All the oil men in the White House. Rumsfeld's cronies, buddies, neocon pals. What is wrong no. with this picture? He just bypasses but it was in the Constitution. Just when we think I it mean, can't get any worse. Fascist government. Dictatorship. He's like the ultimate oh, spoiled brat. Sh- Wake up sh- and smell the oil fields. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, remember who said that that is this. This isn't health care. <laughs> this is get sick and die care. Yeah, <laughs> mainstream media doesn't sh- cover it, so that's why we're here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look for me at Gitmo. That's where I'll be after September <laughs> <laughs>
3: Playing
2: 11, the 9-11 card every, every time, time the American again. subject eavesdropping illegally are like in the president's authority okay. under the Constitution. It's ridiculous. What do they have to It's poo-poo.
8: Wakeupam.blogspot.com. I dare anyone to call me a conspiracy
12: theorist. On the democratic side, things are much more complicated and diverse and nuanced. Starting with the Clinton side, one of her main advisors for foreign policy is in fact Madeleine Albright. Madeleine Albright, that's a little bit of more of the same on the Clinton side. Madeleine Albright, former Secretary of State, is infamous for saying on the record during the 90s that more than 500,000 Iraqi children were victims of the UN sanctions imposed by the US, uh, their sacrifice was worth it in terms of undermining uh, the regime of Saddam Hussein. We have Sandy Berger, former National Security Advisor as well, and especially Richard Holbrook, which is going to be probably the next Secretary of State under a Clinton government. It's very important to remember that Richard Holbrooke, when he was Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia, he was propping Ferdinand Marcos, the dictator of the Philippines, when he was alive, and also dictators to in Indonesia in terms of repression of East Timor. Uh, Richard Holbrooke is a kind of a hawk, actually. Uh, he says that Iran is a threat, and Ahmadinejad is Hitler, which would uh, Easily put him in the neocon column, for that matter. Um, Basically, uh, most of the Clinton advisors were pro-war on Iraq, while Obama's advisors, most of them were against. Uh, Clinton also has ties with um, very well-known centrists, like uh, General Wesley Clark was against the war on Iraq from the beginning. And a former U.S. ambassador, Joseph Wilson, whose wife, about? Valerie, was outed as a CIA agent by the Bush administration. And Of course, her glamorous story is becoming a Hollywood movie. On the Obama side, his main advisor for foreign policy is as Big Brzezinski, former national security advisor under Jimmy Carter. You may all remember that Brzezinski wrote The Grand Chessboard*, his book where he um, outlines the, the, the fact in his mind that the U.S. has to control Eurasia. And if U.S. doesn't control Eurasia, it won't control the rest of the world. So uh, this is not exactly neocon. It was uh, recuperated later by the neocons. But this is basically uh, U.S. world domination, and it has to be armed if, obviously, the countries of Eurasia, do not abide. We also have Anthony Lake, former national security advisor, former assistant secretary of state Susan Rice, former counter-terrorist czar Richard Clarke, who wrote a very very good book on his efforts to fight al-Qaeda, all of them undermined by the Bush administration in 2001. We have human rights scholar Samantha Power, Uh, that's very good because she she basically she's she's been talking a lot and writing a lot about u.s manipulation of the united nations but we also have some very very disturbing characters as well we have a retired general merrill McPeak, who supported he always backed the occupation and repression of east timor and dennis ross which was a clinton special envoy to the middle east he supports the illegal, bloody, and, uh, in fact, uh, absolutely horrendous Israeli occupation of the West Bank. Uh, so, so even if Obama's people are, you know, more inclined to finish off the war in Iraq and, um, okay, try to find a graceful exit from Afghanistan, uh, there's one fact of the matter. Uh, no matter what uh, any, any one of these advisors think or no matter no matter what we have uh, with a Clinton presidency or an Obama presidency, the ultimate deciders uh, for what's going to happen in Iraq are going, are going to be the U.S. national security establishment. And for them, obviously, they will be much more more comfortable with a guy like John, a century of war, McCain.
11: In a balanced February 8th discussion of GOP presidential hopeful John McCain, the Charlie Rose Show featured two conservative Republicans and Two journalists. But it wasn't one of the Republicans who called McCain a thoroughly admirable guy and a genuine hero. It was Newsweek editor Evan Thomas, who seemed unable to control his gushing for the GOP candidate. After repeating media clichés about McCain being a maverick and a rebel, Thomas shifted into full-tilt worship mode, at one point seeming to argue that McCain's war experiences placed him beyond criticism. In response to a Charlie Rose question about candidates describing Obama and Clinton Iraq plans as surrender, Thomas said this.
2: McCain has a license to use words that the rest of us could not. If you've withstood five and a half years of torture and you've tried to commit suicide twice. A moment later, Thomas added. And he would rather die than dishonor himself. So this is a guy who has just done things that the rest of us not only haven't done, we can't even imagine it. Right.
11: And still later, Thomas said...
2: And it gives him a license to do things and say things that others c- couldn't. I mean, he can, he can be pretty uh, out there uh, using words like surrender, because who's really going to question J- John McCain?
11: Not Newsweek, evidently. The author of Newsweek's recent cover story on McCain, Evan Thomas.
13: i would hope that we would understand my friends that life is not 24 and jack bauer life is interrogation techniques which are humane and yet effective and i just came back from visiting prison in iraq the army general there said that the techniques under the army field manual are working and working effectively And he didn't think they need to do anything else. My friends, this is what America is all about. This is a defining issue. And clearly, we should be able, if we want to be Commander in Chief of the U.S. Armed Forces, to take a definite and positive position on, and that is we will never allow torture to take place in the United
11: States of America.
14: Big round of applause, everybody. John McCain is against torture. And what a position of moral ha- high ground to stand on from which to make that case. The man was tortured. He was a prisoner of war, and the North Vietnamese tortured him. John McCain is against torture. John McCain says that, that, to, to an audience of Republicans even applauding him for this, John McCain says the Army field manual is the appropriate standard for American interrogators. John McCain is for banning torture as a mer- matter of American principle. Also, John McCain just voted against banning torture. What? Yeah, specifically on the grounds that he doesn't think the Army field manual is the appropriate standard for American interrogators. That's his explanation. That clip that I just played of John McCain being against torture, that was from November 28th. That was from not that many weeks ago. He was against torture then. Now he's for it. At what point do we stop saying that John McCain is a straight talker? The headline in the, um, in the right-wing Washington Times today, I kid you not, this is the headline, quote, McCain refuses to pander. <laughs> that issue of the Washington Times came out this morning, which means that someone's job at the Washington Times was to okay that headline as John McCain was pandering to the Republican right by voting in favor of torture. John McCain voted against the Bush tax cuts twice until he decided to pander to the right by reversing himself and voting to make them permanent. John McCain campaigned on passing an economic stimulus package quickly to counteract the recession until he decided to pander to the right and not show up for that vote. John McCain campaigned as the anti-torture guy, the one anti-torture guy in the whole Republican field, until he decided to pander to the right and vote against the exact torture ban that he had proposed. And then the headline in the right-wing press in the Washington Times this morning, McCain refuses to pander. Does the word pander mean something other than what I think it means? Because otherwise, I'm
13: confused. Rhyming with me on the record, you might as well have died and went to hell instead of heaven, cause my rhyme weapon is like a medieval torture method, your four limbs tied to four horses all pulling in different directions, in this profession I get busy without a question, seeing me is like seeing a vampire's reflection, faster slow flows connect like electrodes, I make a set tape explode blow when I'm in wreck mode, explode, leaving areas abandoned, one more radiation behind and spots UFOs landing in. that all, Yes sir! Is
6: there anything you need? No sir! You're
13: it's not like Cliff, for instance, that uh, John uh, McLobby, the patron saint of lobbyists, uh, somehow was caught in a, a lobbying scandal, which is just shocking because I know how much he hates lobbyists.
5: I know it's it's amazing. You sit around and I've looked into his past, and obviously, literally, he's in a circle surrounded by lobbyists. I mean, it's like it's like Charlie Black and. Mark Buse and and Rick Davis are all holding hands, and McCain's in the middle. He's made it seem like he doesn't have anything to do with these guys, uh, and then we find out that not only you know has he been figuratively in bed with uh, lobbyists, he's actually quite literally in bed with them. Uh, so it's uh, and, and, I mean, yeah, he's he obviously is having his whole straight talk persona looked at again, and that, believe me, uh, I can tell you from all the research I've done on him, that's not going to be a difficult thing to throw aside. It's uh, it's it's not who John McCain is. It's who David Broder thinks John McCain is.
13: I'll tell you something. It's really uh, astonishing in, in a way. The uh, uh, Brave New Films has a video out, which uh, you know discusses John McCain's friends, uh, guys like Rick Davis you mentioned, uh, Charlie Black, Wayne Berman, Tom Loeffler, all all campaign officials who are just taking time off from their lobbying groups. Um, John Aravosis, what does it say about a candidate? who is caught in a lobbying scandal, is trying to argue to uh, America that, look, I'm not in bed with lobbyists. And so he sends two campaign officials to speak on the Sunday shows, both of whom are lobbyists. <laughs> no, it, what,
5: what's awesome interesting to I mean, what's really interesting to me is both of these scandals that we're talking about, and actually, and there's the other scandal that broke this week, which is which was this whole federal election commission campaign finance thing with McCain.
13: Yeah, and I want to get to that in a minute, but let's well, let's talk about. We,
5: wanted, we won't even have to get into it yet. But I've, all I'm saying is, you've got two main scandals on his signature issues, which are campaign finance and lobbying reform, and they're the two big scandals where John McCain has turned around and gone, you know. Uh, do as I say, not as I do. I mean, and, and George Will even said, and, you know, not like we go around quoting George Will a lot, but George Will even said this morning on ABC, and he said, you know, this is the guy who runs around as the little saint, you know, tell, sanctimoniously telling everyone else how much they're criminals, even when they get too close to lobbyists, when it may not even be unethical, but it appears to be he goes all over them. And you've got him surrounding himself with his top, with his top aides being lobbyists. It's just, and then, of course, there's no influence there. Oh, no, no, no.
13: Yes, right. I mean, he... Yeah. yeah, John McCain gets a lot of credit for uh, going after Boeing, uh, according to David Brooks. Of course, Charlie Black, the guy who went on television today to support John McCain, who's his advisor, who sits in the back of the bus making lobbying calls, one of his clients is Lockheed Martin. Yeah,
5: I'm sure there was no connection there, Sam. because <laughs> he's a very really nice man.
2: concerns me is not whether whether you know he was what to bluntly say it whether he was screwing this woman Mike, what though it concerns me is whether he was screwing the rest of us right was it was america getting it was america being hurt was america being harmed by john mccain and that frankly i think is the story and that also shows the essential cleavage between conservative morality and liberal morality because conservatives believe that all people are essentially evil and that you know our evil impulses have to be restrained therefore they tend to be more more worried about what people are doing in private what are you smoking in your bedroom or in your living room what are you who are you having sex with in your bedroom and in what position you know that's conservative morality and so they go out and they campaign against you know law well in favor of anti sodomy laws or against Gay marriage, or uh, you know, et cetera. You know, it's in fact it it used to be, in many states, having married couples having sex and anything other than the mission, than the missionary position was illegal. I mean, these these are laws that have just been knocked down in the last two decades in some states. You know, laws against uh, access to birth control, things like that, all of that stuff. That's like the you know, conservatives. What are you doing in private? We want to know, and that's why I think the conservatives tend not to be so concerned, uh, frankly, about this the the, the whole the whole thing of uh, spying on people. But liberal morality is more about what are we all doing out in public? You know, are there hungry among us? Are there poor among us? Are there homeless among us? Are there, there in, folks in prison? Are there people who don't have health care? If so, then we can't call ourselves moral people. That broadly is liberal morality. And liberal morality, the morality upon which this country was founded... I mean, keep in mind, the founders of this country were, frankly, not all that concerned about what Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings was doing as as inappropriate as it may have been. They were far more concerned about his public policy. What kind of laws was he making? Not that I'm defending Jefferson and Hemings, but my point is that that was, you know, yeah, John Adams tried to raise the issue, but nobody much took it seriously back in that day. It wasn't about sex. It was about public policy. And that's my concern with regard to John McCain.
4: Don't you see, don't you see that the charade is over?
3: Washington never said the Pledge of Allegiance. He wasn't even born in the U.S. So, what was he hiding? In our fourth story tonight, measuring a man's patriotism by his allegiance to symbols. The Associated Press reporting yesterday, the Conservatives questioned Senator Barack Obama's patriotism because he does not wear a flag pin. And because he did not put his hand on his heart during the national anthem last September. CNN.com aiding and abetting with a shocking online poll. Does Barack Obama show the proper patriotism for someone who wants to be president of the United States? Obama has already said his grandfather, a World War II vet, taught him to put his hand up for the pledge, but to stand for the anthem, a common practice, as you can see at any ball game. As for flag pins, Obama stopped during the run-up to the Iraq invasion when it seemed to become, quote for him, a substitute for true patriotism. Yesterday, he challenged the Republican monopoly on supposed patriotism, a party that presided over a war in which our troops did not get the body armor needed or we're sending troops over who are untrained because of poor planning or are not fulfilling the veterans' benefits that these troops need when they come home, or are undermining our Constitution with warrantless wiretaps that are unnecessary, that is a debate I am very happy to have. Let's bring in MSNBC political analyst Rachel Maddow, whose show airs weeknights also on Air America Radio. Good to see you again. Hi, Keith. Obama is betting on Americans seeing through this. And apart from the fact that John McCain also usually does not wear a flag pin either, why is he betting that way?
14: Um, He's doing something here that national-level Democrats have either been too insecure or too browbeaten to do in the last few years. He's not in hiding. He's not wishing this away. Mm -hmm. He's literally confident and calm in picking up this tear gas canister and flinging it back from whence it came. He's saying you want to talk patriotism? Let's talk patriotism. You want to talk American ideals? All right, secret prison guys. Yeah. Let's do it. If this had if this had been if this had happened in 2004, this what we'd be seeing is John Kerry taking those Swift Boat veterans attacks and using them to say, "All right, if you won't denounce these George W. Bush, let's talk about your Vietnam era service." Right. That's what a confident candidate does with these kinds of attacks.
3: All right, the Associated Press story, uh, why are the Democrats not erupting over this? Experience? extraordinary and just thin as tissue paper story from Nedra Pickler, the way that the Republicans did um, over the New York Times about McCain. I mean, the first guy quoted in this is that crazy Roger Stone guy who started the 527 group about Hillary Clinton, whose acronym is so offensive, even most Republicans are offended by it.
14: Yeah. Does it count that I'm really mad about it. <laughs> yes. okay. I'm really mad about it. Yeah. I mean this this AP piece. I mean it's it's one thing to expect this from the nether regions of right wing media. It's another thing for this to be a wire service story. The AP is something different. And for them to just stovepipe the dirtiest stuff of the far reaches of right wing media right onto the home pages of every major news website mm-hmm. in the country, including MSNBCs today, yep. for this to be a wire service story today is incredible. Asking Roger Stone whether Barack Obama has a patriotism problem, that's like asking me if Air America has any good radio hosts. You know, it's like asking Adolf Coors if you can recommend a good weak beer. You know, just, it's, 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 it's unbelievable that that's who they went to for their yeah, a,
3: a cut rate Gordon Liddy and you thought Gordon Liddy was the cut rate Gordon Liddy. <laughs> uh, the CNN poll. Why, uh, why not a poll uh, that also questioned, you know, do you believe the far right's charges that John McCain actually sold us out to his captors in Vietnam? I mean, that seems equally inappropriate. Yeah.
14: Just because somebody makes a scurrilous political smear doesn't mean you need to regurgitate mm-hmm. it onto your homepage or into your newspaper. And you certainly don't have to push poll their message for them the way that CNN did with this poll. I mean, you don't, you don't go, if, if somebody calls you and says, you know, your mom is an ugly mug, you don't, don't then go talk to the rest of your family and say, would you like to comment on mama's ugly <laughs> mug, the ugliness of her mug? I mean, it's just, it's, this, it's totally out of line here. They have totally missed the point. And I think everybody who ran this story now has to deal with how to get out of the mess that the wire service and CNN put them
3: uh, last point here, Politico reporting, uh, that website that the, the Republican National Committee is polling right now to find out how far they could go on attacking an African-American candidate. This, is, uh, this patriotism thing is the fig leaf to go racist. Is that the idea?
14: It must be. I mean, I am, in, I am incredulous that we've actually found out that they are—they're thinking about going real racist in this election. They've started to <laughs> poll and see how far they can go. You, you, if you—if you wrote this in your screenplay, it would be rejected as too cartoonishly evil. I mean, I guess they're going to try to wrap up some racist thing uh, along with, or maybe even anti-mixed race thing. I don't know, along with their patriotism thing. The depths of this remain to be <laughs> plumbed. But I hope that Obama keeps responding the way he is, because so far he's counterattacking attacking
3: well. them. Miscegenation. Yeah. They're going to try you to—they're know, going to yes. try to run on a miscegenation or a pro-slavery platform. We That's laugh now.
14: We laugh now, Keith. It will happen. It will happen. And
3: just remember, the only person that should be quoted then would be Abraham Lincoln, a Republican, in fact, the first, first Republican, Republican president. president. Yes. Rachel Maddow of MSNBC and Air America. Always a pleasure. Thank you.
6: Here's what's happening in the Caucus State. Hillary Clinton is locking up the establishment folks. Like Washington is a good example. She got the two senators from Washington to endorse her, state of Washington. And she and she got the party leaders to support her. And old establishment way of thinking is check. Okay, I got Washington in the bag. I got my folks set up there. I got my endorsements. Let's move on. Obama said, Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, How about we get a lot of young guys and girls, and we get them all jazzed up, and we have them spend two months, three months, six months, getting people to go. Come on, show up to the caucus, show up to the caucus. Come on, we're gonna have an awesome time. We're gonna go to the caucus. It's gonna rock, okay? As they say, uh, very passionate volunteers, and turns out Obama's strategy's better. <laughs> okay, he's better organized. He's got people who are more active and more passionate. And they drove people to the polls. And you know how many people the senators drove to the polls? Bupkis. Elbow from the sky, right? I don't know. Probably a couple, probably some, probably a decent amount, but not nearly as much as the Obama energized volunteers did. And he's got the campaign staff on the ground to make that happen, which brings us to Geek S. analysis here on Daily Coast. I assume it's a (laughs) sheet. She says. Look, look at Obama's field offices, look at Clinton's field offices, look at how he spends his money and how Hillary Clinton spends her money, and you get a sense of their priorities. That's a great way of looking at it, absolutely. So then they, she breaks it down. Field, office, all, field offices per state in the t- Super Tuesday states. Alabama, Obama had at least five, Clinton two. Obama wins the state, not surprising. North Dakota, Obama's got four field offices. Clinton has zero. Obama wins the state. Idaho. Obama has five field offices. Clinton has zero. Obama crushes in Idaho, nearly won 80% of the vote. And it was a caucus as well. So blew her out of the water. Colorado. Obama has 12 field offices. Hillary Clinton only won. Obama uh, beats her in Colorado handily. Minnesota. She's favored, as we explained from the USA Today analysis 40 to 33. It's a caucus. Obama has seven field offices. Clinton has one. He crushes her. He gets sixty-six percent of the vote. Alaska, Obama one, Clinton zero. we wins Alaska. Kansas, Obama has twenty staffers. Clinton only has three staffers. He wins Kansas. Now, he's also that's his one of his eighteen home states. So that's a little. His mom's from Kansas. But again, it follows the pattern. In Louisiana, where uh, now we go to February ninth and tenth. Apparently, uh, you know, there's a source that says he he's working the state a lot harder, he wins the state. Washington State, three field offices, Clinton zero, he wins Washington. Uh Nebraska, Obama one field office, Clinton zero. Maine, Obama one field office, Clinton zero. He's winning all these states. Here is the killer stat. Here's the bottom line. Obama spent one point four million dollars on political and media consultants. Because you need them. You know, how are you going to structure that? Advertising. What kind of advertising are you going to buy? You know, you need to come up with strategies. that At one point four million dollars, but now that's a lot of money, though, right? Hillary Clinton spent nearly four million dollars on political and media consultants. Now, I mean, she might have been able to use that leftover money, that extra money that she spent on field offices, and she might have won-, won some of those states. But no, she went with the establishment strategy. You spent a lot of money on consultants and political and media folks, and you spend it on advertising, and you spend it on the big states. Well, it turns out you were wrong. Howard Dean was right, and Barack Obama went with the Howard Dean strategy, and he's been cleaning up. Now, it ain't over. It ain't over till it's over. But this is also one of the things that makes me root for Obama, because I don't want to go back to the old thing of ignore all the other states except the ones you think you're going to win, spend all your money on consultants. Look, I'm not wildly dismissive. I get it. I know that you need some consultants. The question is how many consultants do you lead, uh, need and how much do they lead you by the nose and how much do you make your own decisions and take the advice of the consultants. And the numbers don't lie. And the numbers seem to indicate that Hillary Clinton leans on those advisors far too much. They've cost her far too much and they might ultimately cost her the election. And if that's true, well, I got to, you know, I got to be honest. I got to smile about that. I got to say, yeah, you had it coming. You shouldn't have gone that road. You went down the wrong road, and it hurts you. It costs you. So let's see how it plays out. But it's a great analysis by Geek-esque on uh, Daily Coast. so great job on her part. Again, New York Times also reporting Clinton uh, staffers and superdelegates worried that the election is, quote, slipping from her grasp. Let's see how this thing plays out. I I keep saying it because I almost can't quite believe that Obama would actually win. I mean, wow, it imagine Barack Obama's actually our president How, you can't not be excited by that. you just can't you gotta be excited by that i even if you're supporting Hillary Clinton, the thought of a a Barack Obama presidency. I know the sun isn't gonna shine and the rainbows and the birds and everybody's gonna skip along. That's it, Barack Obama's president. Everything is solved. Everything is solved. Everybody has health care. The deficit is gone. It's not gonna work that way. But I mean, it's gotta put a little hope in your heart. It really does. That we can be a better country than what we've been the last eight years. That we could present a better, a friendlier. A smarter face to the world than what we've presented for the last eight years. I mean, you, anytime we look at a Bush clip now, you're like, oh, God, oh, what? Oh, please leave already. You're an embarrassment. Now, picture a Barack Obama, not just the interviews as Bush does, not just the press conferences where you don't have a president stumbling around going, hey, US sovereignty is just, you know, he's like, you're a sovereign country. <laughs> Imagine Obama saying that. and I going to happen, right? But put all that aside. His inauguration? What kind of speech is he going to give? State of the Union? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Something happens, and he's got to rally the country. Who's going to rally the country? You know, I love you Clinton supporters. I love you. You know I love you. And I know there's a lot of you that watch the show. Okay. But even you gotta be thinking when he comes to rally the country, he's gonna rally it. You know it. I know it. The American people know it. He's gonna rally him. His, and look at what he's done on the campaign trail. He's rallied him. And finally, in one of the analysis here, at the very end of the USA Today piece on Minnesota and how miraculously he turned around that state, <laughs> analysts said, hey, you know what? Look, the reality is she's running against a phenomenon. This guy's a phenomenon, man. And i that's why I tell you, I think Hillary Clinton, and you know, I feel bad that they fired Hillary, Hillary Solo Store. Apparently, they're so close that some people you know think that they read each other's minds you know, the woman who got fired patty Solestore. Um, so that was my interesting forty and slip there but but you know what i think it's slightly unfair because they are running against the phenomenon and they've run a pretty good campaign against that phenomenon i think anybody but obama gets blown out of the water by the hillary clinton machine they got a good machine over there they run a competent good campaign and i know some of the folks there. they are professionals man I, the thought of them losing you almost can't quite believe they're going to lose if they do which they haven't yet it's and then on the other side huh, you know you got to give uh obama people i'm sorry the clinton people a lot of credit on both sides because they're both running against terrific uh opponents the obama people running against the clinton machine and doing so well, man, he must be a phenomenon. We don't fall for the regular shit. They try to feed us all this half ass leadership, flip position. They turn politician and shut the hell up and follow tradition. for your TV screen is telling lies to your vision. Every channel got some brainwashed cop shit to watch. Running up in niggas' cribs, claiming that they earn shots a supply. But what's the can you tell me who's greedy? The big corporations, the pigs, all the media, sign of the times, terrorism on the rise, commercial airplanes falling out the skies like flies. Make me wonder what.
4: This episode was produced by Chris from Florida With clips submitted by Pat, Finks, Justin, Duck of Prey, Doug, and Brandon So thank you guys all very much for contributing And keeping this show going um, the raffles are still going on, so keep sending me clips and I'll keep putting the shows out for you. So I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all again hopefully next week. Peace. since will take you out